Nation. Welcome to the Phillies Nation podcast, episode number 24. My name is Tim Malcolm, the editorial director of philliesnation.com, where you can go to get Phillies news, rumors, information, opinion, and much more. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash philliesnation, Twitter at philliesnation, and Instagram at philliesnation underscore. Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spreaker, and YouTube.com slash Phillies Nation. Today's podcast, interesting one. I figured we have, what, three weeks basically until the season is over here. Um, well, two weeks actually at this point. Not much time left. We have the Dodgers coming in to face the Phillies. So I figured with Chase Utley and the Dodgers coming in, why not do a little Utley talk? Who knows if this is the last time we'll get to talk about him in this sense. I'm kind of thinking he'll be back next year. And my guest believes that too. So uh, I was thinking of doing a little segment on Chase Utley's Hall of Fame hopes. And I looked on the web just to see what was out there. And someone had just recently written a piece about Chase Utley's Hall of Fame hopes. Graham Womack, who does a lot of writing for the Sporting News. He has his own Hall of Fame column. And he recently talked to Chase Utley and did a piece on Utley. And I talked with him about what he thought about Utley's Hall of Fame chances and uh, even some other Phillies, some really past like Dick Allen and slightly more recent past like Roy Halladay and Jimmy Rollins. So interesting talk with Graham Womack. That'll come up in a little bit. Just a warning. There's a little bit of a call drop out here and there in the, in the call. I try to clean up it as much as clean it up as much as possible. So it's a little bit wonky at times, but for the most part, it's, it's totally fine. Don't worry. Uh, it's a good conversation. You get basically 98% of it. So no worries there. Just wanted to give you the heads up that there's a little bit of a drop here and there. Also, we have Kirsten Swanson on the podcast. She's going to talk with me about Reese Hoskins. Why not? Reese Hoskins is the story. A little bit of a tough series against the Athletics, but before that, obviously played extremely historically well, and we'll talk about that historic start. And we'll talk with Kirsten a little bit later about the bullpen, which has been one of the great shining stars of the Phillies season here in the last few months at least. We'll talk about some of the guys who played extremely well and what we think about their hopes for next year, if the Phillies don't have to build much of a bullpen next year, if they already have one in place. So Kirsten will be on later to talk about that as well. And before we get into the whole thing, uh, next week, or excuse me, next podcast in two weeks will be really, really big and really, really fun. We're going to do the season end podcast. It'll come out the day before, the day after the season ends, after the series against the Mets. And we're going to go over how the Phillies did in 2017. Spoiler alert, they weren't good. Uh, we're also going to go over, you know, player grades, how players did, what we think going into next year, just kind of quick shots. I'm going to have some people on the podcast. We're going to do a lot of talk. It's going to be fun, uh, big, just season review, awesome, fantastic, long podcast. I might try to make it two hours. We'll see what happens with that. And that'll kind of kick off our offseason stuff. We're going to talk about what the Phillies will want to get in the offseason. Spoiler, pitching. Uh, we'll talk about, you know, maybe more Hall of Fame stuff. Uh, we'll talk about, um, you know, maybe the Phillies' long-term plans. And, and just a lot of stuff we'll get into for the offseason. But the next podcast will be really big season review show. And we'll have a lot of guests for that. It'll be fun. As for this week, like I said, we have... Uh, Graham Womack to talk about Chase Utley. Kirsten will talk about the the bullpen later, and she'll be on in a few minutes to talk about Reese Hoskins. And, and you know what? 
Hoskins has been amazing. I mean, the numbers just speak for themselves. He's hitting close to 300. He, again, he's struggled in the past couple of days against the Athletics, but he's hitting close to 300. The OBP is over 400. The slugging percentage is over 700. The 18 home runs in just 37 games, a record, unbelievable stuff. Hopefully he gets to 20 before the season's down. I'd love to see that happen. Uh, then he would potentially be the team leader in home runs. It'd be amazing if he could eclipse Tommy Joseph in the team lead in home runs by the time the year's over. That would just be ridiculous. But he has been obviously the big story. But let's let's be real here. This whole team has played well over the past couple of weeks. Yes, they've stumbled here and there, but they've been winning big recently. I mean, they beat the Mets nine to one on on the day after Labor Day. Um, you know, you go back to July. I mean, they had that big nine to nothing win against Houston to end that series. They come back two days later and beat Atlanta ten to three. You know. Then they had kind of this lull where they lost a bunch of games, et cetera, et cetera, down in the West. But they beat the Mets that that nine to one game. Uh, they beat Miami eight to nothing. They beat Chicago seven to one. Miami again. They beat eight to one a couple days ago, and then ten to nothing. They just blowouts. And the offense has played extremely well. It's been one of the better offenses in the National League in the second half. And, of course, Hoskins is the headline. But a bunch of guys have been playing very well recently. Nick Williams, last two weeks, 11 games, he's hitting close to 400. That's awesome. Uh, You know, we've been talking a lot about Hoskins, and he's stolen all the headlines. But Nick Williams has 48 runs batted in since being called up. 70 games, 49 runs batted in, 48 runs batted in. That's really good stuff. I mean, RBIs aren't the arbiter of anything, really. They more talk about the guys who are on base ahead of you, but you have to get them home somehow, and he's done that. Hitting 292 uh, this year, it's, I think down to maybe 290 now, he's been fantastic. Now, the thing that does still alarm me are the strikeouts. 11 strikeouts to zero walks. Uh, since September 5th. I think it may have gone up uh, in in Sunday's game against Oakland. Some of these stats are through Saturday. But the strikeouts are still somewhat of an issue. You know, he's still carrying a ratio of somewhere around 80 to 70 or or 80 to 17 strikeout to walk. That's not great. He's a rookie. He's always been a power first, you know, all or nothing kind of player. Hopefully those walks come up a little bit because we do want to see him, if he can hit behind Reese Hoskins, we want to see guys want to pitch to Reese Hoskins. And they will only do that if Nick Williams is getting on base, not just by hitting the ball hard, but by taking walks and taking pitches and all that. So hopefully that gets back to, you know, he gets back to where uh, he was early in the year where he was taking a lot of walks and showing the Phillies, yeah, I can get on base in a bunch of different ways. Uh, Hopefully he continues to do that here as the season closes out. I think he lost a little bit of that in the past couple weeks. Jorge Alfaro, another guy who's had that strikeout bug in the last two weeks, 10 strikeouts, zero walks on the entire season, 27 strikeouts, two walks. It's not very good. But the power is here now. He's hitting 586, slugging 586 since September 5th, which is that 9 to 1 Mets win where he went 3 for 5. On the year, he's slugging 488, which is pretty darn good. Three homers in the last two weeks, four overall. He hits the ball hard. And we saw, I think he had a home run against Miami, maybe, where he hit the ball like halfway up the second deck. It was a moonshot. He had another home run that was a screamer recently that just left the park in a hurry. The guy can hit, and when he does, he puts everything on it. It's great to see. It's got to translate, though, in other things. He's got to be able to take some pitches. He's got to be able to be more selective. 
Also, defensively, he has his issues. He clearly doesn't know how to protect balls that come in bouncing at the plate. He still has trouble with pass balls. That stuff will come, hopefully, in time. He's still a young catcher. It takes a long time for catchers to become great catchers. Jorge Alfaro is still very young in his career. It's going to take time, but right now the results are good. He's hitting the ball hard. He's this, he's getting powerful swings. The slugging percentage is coming up. Good to see all around. And another player, Michael Franco. Now, I know we've talked about Michael Franco for a long time as, is this guy actually going to become the guy that the Phillies want him to be? I don't know if that's going to happen. He started the year as the cleanup hitter, the number three hitter, the guy that the Phillies were relying on to be everything. It didn't happen. He's had a really bad season, but he's finally coming together here in the last couple of weeks. Basically, since August 25th, he's sitting 310. He's got three homers. He's got seven doubles. And the strikeout-to-walk ratio is actually pretty decent, 12-5. to 5. Franco may be putting it together. Is it too late? I don't know. Here's the thing. There's no value. If the Phillies wanted to try to trade Franco tomorrow, they wouldn't get anything for Well, they, obviously, they wouldn't be able to. But if they were to trade him in the offseason, they wouldn't get anything for him. He doesn't have much value right now. Other teams look at him and see a guy who swings all or nothing. His swing is not good. He hits a lot of ground balls, double plays, pop-ups on the infield. That's a player that nobody wants to touch. Now, he's a better defensive player than he was when he came in. That's true. But he's also being usurped right now by a guy who doesn't really play third base and is playing really good third base, and we'll talk about that in a second. But Franco has no value right now. Even if he continued this hot streak over the final two weeks of the year, he still wouldn't have a lot of value. So it behooves the Phillies to get value for him, which means bringing him back next year as the third baseman on this team. And I know that's not a popular thing for a lot of Phillies fans, but if Michael Franco can string together two months of really good baseball to start next year, now they have a real decision to make. Do we want to deal him for some value or do we want to hold on to him and maybe he's turned the corner? He's only 25 years old, just turned 25 years old a couple weeks ago. Maybe there's still a lot here for Franco. He can reclaim himself, become a really great hitter, be more selective, and he's been selective this year more than he's ever been. He's 40 walks to 87 strikeouts. So he's having a good year Looking at the ball, it's just what he does when he gets a hold of the ball is the problem. So maybe he's coming around, but we have to see more than, of course, two weeks or three weeks or two months. We have to see him close out the season strong and then next year start out the year really well over the first couple months. If he does do that, then there's a decision to make. But I think if Franco doesn't get it going by the time it's maybe late April of next year, fine. DFA him. Do what you want. But right now, the Phillies don't have a position where they can move Franco for something good. So it behooves them to wait, wait, wait. And I know it's not the most popular thing, but wait, because maybe he will actually reward the Phillies at the end of the day. Now, of course, J.P. Crawford's been fantastic. He's been coming up and didn't get the position right away that he wanted to play. I mean, not that we wanted him to play shortstop. Freddie Galvis is still playing shortstop basically every day. Crawford's gotten a couple looks there, but for the most part, he's played third base. And he's played a little bit of second base. Crawford's been great at third base. I mean, that's something that we didn't think was going to happen. He came right up. Boy, he looks like a natural out there. He plays great shortstop. He plays great third base. His second base is still a work in progress. But the guy is fluid. And not only that, the hitting is coming around. 
Now he's hitting close to 300. He's got an OBP over 300 now. He's got a couple doubles on the year. Still waiting for that home run to come in. It's okay if it hasn't come in yet. He's played pretty well. And for a guy who we were kind of out on completely to start the year, by June we were thinking Crawford wasn't even a prospect anymore, some of us. I wasn't, but a lot of people were. But he's come back and he's played extremely well. Defensively, absolutely. Offensively, you can't complain. He was very good in Lehigh Valley for a couple months, and he's come up and really hasn't missed a beat. Obviously had to kind of get himself situated in the major leagues and figure out how to work with the timing and work with pitchers. But he's been pretty good since coming up, and it's a good sign. This team is exciting. Crawford is doing his thing. Hoskins is obviously Hoskins. We'll see how he finishes out here the final two weeks. Williams has been great. Alfaro's been really cool to watch. The pitching will actually, excuse me, the pitching will actually, the pitching will have to come. It has to come. The Phillies will have to get somebody from the outside, probably more than one person from the outside. But the pitching will come. But right now, you see in an offense, half the guys now are really fun to watch, and you're looking forward to getting their at bats. And if Michael Franco can maybe get himself back into that conversation, suddenly we have something really interesting to talk about there, which is fantastic and something we never thought would happen. But now we have a couple guys that we can look at and say, hey, I can't wait to see what they do tonight. Of course, Reese Hoskins, that's number one. Let's talk a little bit more about Reese Hoskins. So I bring in Kirsten Swanson from philliesnation.com to talk about Reese Hoskins, because why not? Um, and I feel like we only do the podcast every two weeks, so we haven't done like oversaturation of Reese Hoskins. But I do feel like at this point we are oversaturating Reese Hoskins because he's just been the thing to talk about. Um, but I haven't talked about it with you, Kirsten. So how do you, how are you feeling about Reese? Like, what's like, is like every night? Are you just like beside? I mean, I've seen your tweets. You're beside yourself. It seems like a hundred percent. I mean. Friday night. I mean, me and you and the rest of the people of Phillies Nation were a little bit more invested with the Phillies than most fans. But even still, I find myself way more invested. Friday night, I was at the Temple football game, and I want to say maybe every four to five minutes, I was checking my phone just to see what Reese Hoskins was doing. Um, you know, I went to the game last night because they were had the Reese, Reese Lightning giveaway, and I'm a sucker for free t-shirts. So, I had to go and get my free t-shirt and stayed through, you know, a two hour rain delay just in the hopes that he would do something. Um, it's just, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's and, making it fun again. And he has kind of struggled the last couple games against For the sure. athletics. He didn't really have a good series at all. Um, and he struck out a bunch. So yeah. it looks like the A's, I don't know if maybe he's finally like having a little bit of a slump because he's a rookie and that's what happens or that the A's sort of figured something out and they're giving him a lot of off-speed stuff down on the count uh, and it's working. So we'll see how he, I mean, the thing is he doesn't look like any other big slugging first baseman who just strikes out all the time. I think he will adjust and he does take walks. Exactly. And I think this was probably the first series. Yes. The A's kind of, we're throwing him off speed stuff and kind of getting on the hack of things a bit. But this is the first weekend, the first series that he was hacking at, at pitches that he would normally take. Uh, I think maybe it kind of was getting to him. I, I saw something or heard something last week that it looks like he's, you know, not falling into the hype and he's still, you know, being the type of player he is, type of hitter he is winning for his pitches. And maybe this weekend with, you know, the his big fat heads in the outfield and stuff, maybe it was kind of 
getting to him a little bit, though he was kind of reaching a little bit. But hopefully once he gets over Kershaw tomorrow, maybe he'll bounce back a little bit. Yeah, I mean, he did, like, a ticket giveaway and stuff. Like, yeah. he was putting tickets over the city. And, like, like definitely, I mean, it's great because the Phillies don't have a guy like this. Like, Oduble is that guy, and I think people aren't giving him credit. Exactly. You know, and yep. there are a lot of people who don't give him credit. But, like, Reese is finally the first guy in a long time who's, like, openly, like, active in embracing the role of superstar on this team. So it's really awesome to see. Um, but we'll see how it goes. Now, I wanted to talk about sort of – how hot he's been and how amazing it's been. So there's been comparisons to Aaron judge, which by the way, Hoskins has said better numbers in his first 36 games, uh, 37 games now as Aaron judge, Gary Sanchez was the other name. And last year when he came up with the Yankees, he finally came up for good in August, just like Reese Hoskins did. And he had 20 home runs in that run that he had, which was like 50 games, 51 games or so. In his first 30, I think like 36 games or so, 37 games or so, when he was up with the Yankees, he hit something like 14 home runs and had a 333 batting average around like a 400 OBP. So the the metric numbers are about where Hoskins is, but 35 strikeouts to 16 walks. So 13 home runs, by the way. Hoskins has 18 home runs right now. Um, So compare the two, Hoskins has been marginally better than uh, Gary Sanchez was last year, marginally better than Aaron judge was when he came up or, you know, two years, whenever, whenever was Sanchez right. came up I think two years ago. Um, no, 16. Uh, and then when judge came up, same thing, better than judge. So why is Reese Hoskins not getting the same sort of publicity as Aaron judge or Gary Sanchez? I'm not sure. You know, when the Phillies aren't playing well, I kind of tune out to a little bit to the national what's going on nationally, not baseball-wise, but media-wise. I tend not to, you know, watch ESPN or MLB Network 24-7 like I normally would just because it kind of depresses me. So at first I thought maybe I'm just not seeing it and I'm just not sure. But I'm pretty sure in April, May, and June when Judge was, you know, hitting bomb after bomb, I couldn't go on any social media platform or turn on a TV without seeing his face or the fans with their – Judge outfits on or whatnot. Um, yeah. So I'm not really sure. Maybe it's the Phillies because they're not good and they're not really. Yeah. So I'm not really sure, but it's it's upsetting. No, I mean, look, like the Phillies stink. They're the right. worst team in baseball. They're on the way to 100 losses this year. It's terrible. Um, there has been no reason to really watch the Phillies at all over the past five years, uh, except for very few things. Aaron Nola was one of those things, and he's been having a good season. Um, and then it's September. And there's pennant races happening. Now, I will say this. It's one of the uh, most boring postseason pushes I've ever seen in my life. Agreed. Because there's no team that's really challenging for wild cards. Because of the two wild cards, they're basically already set in the National and American Leagues with the Yankees and Twins in the AL. And the Angels are kind of knocking on the door, but they're not there. And then the NL, you have the Diamondbacks and Rockies. But there's no team – like, everybody's moved, like like ran away with their divisions. The Indians have been amazing, and that's a great story. But besides that, that's, there's nobody – there's nothing else happening. No. It's like – like, Reese Hoskins is perfect for, like, this story that comes out of nowhere, and you would think that everybody would be jumping on it. And as you said, yeah, like, you couldn't go a day without seeing Aaron Judge stuff. Like, I get the MLB, like, morning newsletter just to, like, get a sense of what's happening every morning in the league, and I have not seen one thing on Reese Hoskins, at least in the past couple weeks, and 
Like, he had this amazing run, right? The first run was amazing. And his second run in the last, like, week and a half was unbelievable. He hit basically a home run every night for another, like, six or seven nights. Where is the Reese Hoskins mania? It's ridiculous. Like, you have a ready-made great slugger who's got a great on-base percentage. He takes pitches. He's very amiable. He looks like he wants to be a superstar, and he'll embrace that role. And he's doing it for one of the major markets in Major League Baseball. Like, Philadelphia is the fifth biggest city in the country. Why does nobody care about this guy? I mean, it has to be. It has to be because the Phillies are a bottom dweller. But even still, I mean, the names that he was being compared to – I mean, it was Joe DiMaggio and Ted Williams and Gene Carlos Stanton and Albert Pujols. I mean, even just a little blip, you know, here's what Reese Hoskins did last night. I just can't believe that. I mean, I think he was on MLB Network last week for like a hitting clinic or something like that. But yeah, they still. put him on like the yeah the 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 Edward Jones uh, something or <laughs> you know the, the the chatting cage or something whatever that was. Yeah, but I'm I'm not really sure. It has to. It just has to be because it's the Phillies and. They're at the at the basement, and it's really the, he's the first one out of the rebuild, really, other than Aaron Nola, but still he really plays every five days. So um, he's the first one that you can kind of see. Okay, they have something starting here, and that maybe that's why. But and again, it's the end of the season. If it yeah. was at the beginning of the season, maybe it would have been you know Aaron Judge leading up to the All Star game, the home run derby. That might have been a bigger story. I mean, it's just like I have a bigger problem with Major League Baseball and how they market the game. Because they're falling woefully behind. I mean, the NFL is having its problems right now, but they're falling woefully behind the NBA, which I think is a superior product, just the way it's presented okay. to everybody. Um, Major League Baseball has so many good young players right now. Like, if you look at Cleveland, Francisco Lindor is ridiculous, right? For you sure. look at Baltimore and how they somehow stay in it every year because Manny Machado is otherworldly. Mike Trout in L.A. doesn't get the publicity that Aaron Judge and Gary Sanchez have in the past two years. It seems as if if there's a player in the Yankees or the Red Sox or maybe the Cubs that is doing well, they'll get publicity. Otherwise, forget about it. It's ridiculous. Agreed. Yeah, I mean, and you have a top five American city. Like I said, Philadelphia is a major market. You would love to have a guy step up from the Phillies and be a big star, and you can market that immediately, and they're not doing it. No, and I hate to you know play the card like Philly woe is me because we can get into that sometimes, but it's 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 the truth because it keeps happening. I mean, even in our heyday, you know, Chase Utley and Ryan Howard, they were great, but but if Ryan they were in Howard New York, was one of Ryan Howard was one of like the five most marketable stars in baseball for at least five or six straight years. For sure, and can you imagine if he was in New York? I mean, he would have been on billboards and. You want, he would have been shoved down your throat. Yeah, I mean, the subway endorsements alone, the tie-ins was – I mean, come on. But yeah. <laughs> I, it's, it's, it's just ridiculous. Like, baseball has this unbelievable opportunity here, and not just with Hoskins, but with guys like Lindor, with guys like Machado. You know, you look over at Houston, you have Altuve, for God's sakes. Like, so many good players who they could just, like – get really big audiences and kids would love like I, I when I was a kid I loved the scrappy kids who who the scrappy young guys who played their butts off and yeah. you know somehow got on base at a 380 clip like these are the guys that baseball should be rallying around and instead like they see a guy who wears pinstripes who hits 40 home runs and every marketing piece goes to that guy. it's just yeah. we're going to have these fights when the Phillies play the Yankees in the World Series in 4 years but you know it's just it's <laughs> just like the it. way it's going to be yeah um, well, 
what do you think about before I let you go here on this segment? What do you think about Hoskins the rest of the year? Like, do you think? I mean, does he cool off to the point where he doesn't hit much else the next couple of weeks? Does he cool off but still hit a little bit? Like, or does he get another hot streak? Like, what do you what do you expect out of him? My hope is that he he's going to cool cool off. I mean, it's just almost impossible. But I hope that he does get a couple games where he does either have a couple homers or you know a couple games with multiple hits. Just because I'd like to end the season on a good note. Um, I kind of was. It would be great if they were going on the road tomorrow, just because I feel like getting out of the Philadelphia and the hysteria and the hype, and I think focusing back on his game. So hopefully, if he can get through this series with the Dodgers, a couple hits, a couple walks, and get on the road and knock a couple homers in, I think that'll be a nice way to end end the season. Yeah, either either get on the road, or if the Eagles would have beaten the Chiefs on Sunday, right. it would have been you know like there would have been nobody talking about the Phillies. So it, it's 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 like okay, we're still gonna kind of look in a little bit. So yeah, because <laughs> because whatever. All right, <laughs> <laughs> this isn't Eagles talk. Um, you know they're what they are. Uh, Kirsten, we'll talk to you later on. Thanks. Sounds good. The Los Angeles Dodgers come into Citizens Bank Park this week to play the Phillies, and of course, that means bringing back Chase Utley, who will be donning those Dodgers blues uh, in Philadelphia for the week. And it's always good to see Chase, obviously, back at home. Well, our home, I guess. Uh, but I bring in someone who wrote a great piece about Utley over the uh, actually last week and his Hall of Fame chances. Uh, Graham Womack is a writer who has worked with the Sporting News and a few other places, does a lot of work on the Hall of Fame and, and MLB history, and he wrote a piece about all these Hall of Fame chances, so I bring him in here on the podcast. Graham Womack, thanks for coming to the Phillies Nation hey. podcast. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, so um, first off, well, you do Hall of Fame writing kind of as like a specialty? Is that kind of how you brand yourself? Yeah, I mean, it's history, but you know, specifically for sporting news, I generally write about the Hall of Fame for them. I've been doing a, col- a column for them called Cooperstown Chances. For the- I like to interview a lot of uh, a lot of players. I generally talk to guys who've been retired, you know, 20, 30 years. But when I I live in Sacramento, and when I saw that Utley was going to be coming through San Francisco, someone had to go and get a press pass and uh, see if I can interview him because this will be the NLP career that are coming up by December, and it's hard to tell kind of how much gas he had left in the tank. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no, I was I ventured over to San Francisco basically last week and being able to talk to him. I made my way over there, and then, um, yeah, he's as, as you may know about him, he's a famously famous interview. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, no, I uh, I was able to minutes with him in the clubhouse before the game and that, uh, that that felt like an accomplishment it's funny some guys who I'll talk to you know I'll be on the phone with some guys like 30 minutes or an hour and generally like I ask them as many questions as I want and usually the conversation ends like it's like okay well I probably should get on and go do something else but with him it was like it was really clear that like he was itching to like go and do other things and it's funny actually though uh, a guy I know named Mike Oz had better luck with him Mike does this uh this the show for Yahoo called uh, 25-Year-Old Sport Cards, I think it's called, and he got mm-hmm. Utley to open, like, an old, like, pack of, like, 1992 cards just a few days ago, and he was getting Utley to, like, open up and tell stories, and he he was he was a lot looser than he than he was, you know, with me. But, uh, yeah, yeah, no, I... I oh, sorry. I, 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 no, I, I'm, I'm wondering, uh, I'm wondering, I mean, did you go into the interview thinking that, like, you might get some sort of nugget about his legacy, or did you just, just like, think... There's no way. I, I'll probably get some sort of standard cliche quotes from him. It's not a big deal. Um, you know, I 
I wasn't sure what to expect. I mean, I, I think I generally have my best luck with guys when I'm able just to talk with them on the phone and not have to go through a team to do it. I mean, when you're in the clubhouse, it's it's hard to get really candid quotes in there. I mean, you know, you're, you know, it's guys who their teammates are all around. So, I mean, to a certain extent, they got to watch what they say or maybe they feel like they do. Um, but I, I don't know. I've had, I've had pretty good luck with some of the other guys that I, that I've talked to so far. So I was, I was hopeful that I, I might get him to open up. And he, I mean, he did a teeny bit, but, uh, but no, I, I knew when I walked out of that interview, it was like, okay, well, let me write this piece. I'm going to, I'm going to have to really be, you know, analysis. Because, I mean, oddly, the, the thing is with him is, you know, he's he's got a great case as it breaks down by sabermetrics. So it was the kind of deal where, like, I really hoped I would get a great interview, but I knew regardless it, it could be a good column just because, you know, just explaining how his value breaks down. Yeah. Um, and, and and I love how, you know, you asked him about sabermetrics and if he just kept track at all with what people say about how the metrics bear out in his career and that they are in his favor a little bit, and he just flat out said no. I mean, that's a very ugly thing to do, just to say, no, I don't care about that stuff. It's funny because, yeah, some guys, some of the guys I interview, it's like, you know, you kind of, you'll sort of lob them questions, you know, here and there and just see what they do with it. And some of the guys, you know, you give them a question like that and they'll they'll expound for a bit, you know, kind of one yeah. way or another. And with him, no, it's like he – He's the kind of guy who, with the exception of Mike's interview recently, he seems like the kind of guy who doesn't really answer more questions than he has to. Yeah. And what's well, a funny thing, too, I mean, your position coming in there, asking him solely about his Hall of Fame chances. So, you're, you know, I don't know how much you do this with, you know, players who are currently in the league, but going up to guys as they're still playing and saying, talk about your legacy and if you might be a Hall of Famer. It's, it's kind of a weird thing because you wouldn't necessarily go up to a guy in the last year of his, like, regular job and say, do you think you'll be honored with a gold watch or with, you know, a silver bracelet? You know, it's oh, a weird I, thing that people have. Absolutely, yeah. No, I've been wondering lately if, like, I, you know, because I'm not going to stop uh, interviewing former players. And with that, like, you can kind of do it. It's still it's a little a little odd, but, like, generally my tact when I'm talking to former players is, like, half or two-thirds of the interview is me just asking them questions about their career and then, you know, I tell them up front that I write about the Hall of Fame, so obviously they know. But generally, you know, we talk for a bit before we get to the point of actually, you know, um, talking about the Hall of Fame. And I usually get their thoughts on, on other people who they think belong in the Hall of Fame because it, it's funny. Everybody has an opinion on, like, you know, who <laughs> who a Hall of Famer should be. And sometimes it's really random guys. Like, I was trying to remember, I think, like, Dwight Evans sometime. Like, uh, he's one of the guys I've interviewed, and he was talking to Billy Davis was all <laughs> good player and everything. I don't hear anybody else talk about him as a Hall of Fame candidate, but um, when you're going up to guys in the clubhouse and it's before game time, you kind of talk to them about this. Yeah, it's totally weird. I, I, You know, it's funny. This um, this was just the second time that I actually ha- have had a Major League Baseball credential. I, I went uh, the week before when the Cardinals were in town, and I I, I talked to talked to a few different guys. I talked to Yadier Molina. Mm. I talked to Buster Posey. And then I actually talked to Dave Rigetti, you know, the defense pitching coach and a fourth reliever, you know, one of the better closers of the 80s. I had my best luck Rigetti. He and I, we actually sat down and we talked for about 15 minutes. He was suggesting that they're at the, the Hall of Fame have a coach's wing, and that was a lot easier. Um, Molina, the only way I really got a usable column out of that was I interviewed a bunch of his teammates, and... Like with that, they, you know, I was I was interviewing partial pitchers about what he's like to throw to, yeah. and so like I got stuff out of that. But I know like with Posey, like 
I haven't even bothered writing a column yet just because Posey, it was like, it was, it was a similar interview to Utley. It was just, yeah, it was, it was, it was very terse, short answers. It's like, come on, man, you got to give me more than this, but you know, <laughs> teach their own. <laughs> yeah. So, so the Chase Utley thing, I mean, you knew going into this interview what the case was for and against Utley. It's been talked about a bit already that Utley has a, has a shot to make the Hall of Fame. And I think all of us in Philadelphia would love to see him in the Hall of Fame. And I'm hoping to go to Cooper's down if it happens. But uh, there's still a lot of, you know, case against Utley because he didn't play. Uh, he came in a little late and, and his, and his, uh, he had a great prime, but otherwise he's had some really rough moments, and the Dodger career hasn't been the best. So if, if you were a, a Philly fan and you wanted to get in an argument with someone who said, well, Otley's not a Hall of Famer, like, what's the best single thing that you could kind of arm yourself with and say this is the best thing that Utley has going for him if, if I'm saying he's going to make the Hall of Fame? Yeah, by wins above average, I think he's the eighth best second baseman in baseball history. Um yeah, by that, I mean, I, I think you could reasonably make the case that anybody who's a top 10 player at their position belongs in the Hall of Fame. But, yeah, I mean, by by peak sabermetrics, he is right up there. If sabermetrics are saying as much, um, you know, he was um, he's a very good defensive player. He was a flight member of, you know, only the second Phillies uh, World Series winning team in their history. Um, I mean, uh, you know, institution in Philly for all those years. Um, I mean, granted, like, so... It's going to be interesting to see, you know, how many writers agree. My my sense is that it could go either way, but I I look at a guy like Tim Raines, who started off pretty low in the votes and then managed to build all the way up, uh, you know, and get in this past year. I think what helped Raines is that, you know, aside from sabermetrics, his career had so many kind of things that, you know, could p- appeal to a real traditionalist voter. I mean, he was kind of the National League answer to Ricky Henderson during the 80s, uh, you know, uh, had all those stolen bases. With Utley, he doesn't necessarily have that kind of mainstream appeal. I, sure. I think he's big sabermetricians and Philly fans. So, you know, the sabermetric stuff is great, and that's true. I mean, if you look, as you said, the wins above uh, average, it's like 42.1 in his career, which is eighth best among second basemen. But the traditional stuff, I wonder how much, because you said he's a great defender, and everybody who was watching him in Philadelphia over those years knows he's a great defender. However, he never won a gold glove. Um, and then MVP awards, like, he's never won one of those, even though his teammates Jimmy Rollins and Ryan Howard, who some would probably argue are lesser players overall, won MVPs. How much do those sort of, you know, awards, the traditional sort of met, traditional ways of evaluating, how much do they go against him? Are they really big hits for him? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't help. I mean, it, um, I, I mean, I'm, I should, I should preface that by saying that I don't think it should matter that much because both gold gloves and MVPs highly active and, uh, yeah, I'm, um, you know, that could, that could be the kind of thing, uh, you know, obviously there's, you got into the Hall of Fame, you know, without MVPs, you know, Reigns being only the latest example, but mm-hmm. yeah, that is, that is something that, that could work against Utley. I mean, um, I think the two biggest things and not get into it in my article are the fact that he's about a 275 hitter lifetime and that he's got, you know, around 1850 hits right now. The Hall of Fame hasn't been anybody and he's retired since 1950 less than 2,000 hits, that, that's really good. Whether it should or shouldn't, uh, for him to overcome. Um, now, one thing that you didn't mention in the piece is his postseason accomplishments. Because that's one thing, as a Phillies fan, I just remember the 2009 World Series especially, 
and how he was single-handedly keeping the Phillies in that series against the Yankees. Um, and he had other great postseason moments, um, some a little bit less, uh, I guess, headline, but he still had really good postseason numbers. Uh, as a Philly, uh, he hit somewhere around 270 with like a almost 400 sort of OBP. He had a bunch of home runs, obviously, in the postseason, 10 as a Philly. Does that matter at all for him, or uh, I mean, how much does postseason matter to begin with? Because uh, some, some guys, it's not a big sample size. Utley, it's a decent sample size, but it's not a full season or anything like that. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I don't always do a great job of incorporating postseason stats into my analysis, but, yeah, that was one thing that a lot of people were commenting on after my article initially came out. Wasn't it – didn't he hit, like, five home runs in that World Series or something? I mean, it was some – Yeah, five, yeah. Yeah, no, that, that's just unreasonable. I mean, and so, so yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, without a doubt, uh, I mean, a postseason is, is a is a big, big point in his favor. Now, that being said, I mean – Postseason glory kind of won't won't get you into the Hall of Fame by itself. I mean, otherwise, you know, Bobby Thompson would be there, Joe Carter would be there, um, right. Cookie Lavagetto would be there. There's all these guys who, you know, if, if the postseason was the the major arbiter, like you know, Don Larson is another. Yeah. Um, now, Utley has a has a better statistical case than any of those guys, but still, I mean, it's just it's. Uh, it's tough to to kind of to hang your hat on on that. It's 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 kind of one more one more ancillary thing that can get him in. But really, I think his case is going to come down to you know how much more voters have embraced sabermetrics and kind of gotten into the sort of next level stuff. But I think you know wins above average is is a so slightly more sophisticated metric than WAR. And honestly, I think it gets conflated with WAR quite a bit still. Yep. Um. I do it well. So okay, you mentioned in the article Bobby Gritch who. Uh, played in the 70s and 80s and was a very good second baseman for a number of years. But like Utley, as you mentioned in the article, didn't really have that sexy stat or, you know, that that he had a very good – and his prime was pretty long, but it wasn't a great prime, whereas Utley's prime was actually really good, but he didn't play that long otherwise. Um, but you compared him with Gritch, and then you compared him with Willie Randolph, who played a lot in the 80s uh, with the Yankees and other teams. Um, those eras – Sabermetrics was not a thing at all. Nobody talked about it. There wasn't any data to really look at it that in, in, in those eras. So what is the difference then? Um, is Utley, because he's in this era and because so many people have grown up with seeing him at a different level, uh, in a different light, do you think that he's going to be able to kind of ride out a couple of years at least, whereas a Gritch or a Randolph wouldn't have been able I don't even know if they made the second year uh, as eligible voters. As eligible yeah, voters. so um, basically, vote with the writers to uh, to get in, uh, but you only need 5% of the vote to stay on the ballot for the next year, and it used to be you get 15 years, now you get 10. I think without a doubt, Utley will, will get uh, more than 5% of the vote his first time out, and I see him going the full 10 years on the ballot, but it, that being said, it's it's hard to say really you know, how much we progressed. I mean, Randolph got 1% 1, 1 of the vote, which got 2.6% of the vote. <laughs> you know, so it's like I think Randolph was on the was on the ballot in 1998. Uh, Gritz was on the ballot in '92. Um, Utley will probably hit the ballot. I'd say realistically, my hunch is that he'll probably play one more year, depending yeah. on how the Dodgers do in the postseason. So that means he hits the, the ballot years, which means fall of 2023. So I don't know. I could see him probably debuting with 30 to 40 percent of the vote and. Yeah, he actually does have a really good chance if he does that. I mean, because I've I've looked at it before, and if guy, I think something like, 
I want to say 90 or 95% of all, all the players who got, I want to say, at least 30% of the vote through maybe 1980, mm-hmm. uh, if, if not even more recently, are in. It's like if, if you crack even a small number of votes, you have a pretty good shot of either getting in through the writers or one of the committees later on. It's just people don't re- realize how rare it is to even get 10% of the vote. I mean, I... Yeah, it's funny. I always laugh like when, when people are like, oh, you know, Barry Bonds or Roger Clemens only got 35% of the vote. They'll never get in. And it's like, no, that actually is a pretty good chance now that they will be in there eventually. Um, is there anything that Udley can do in the next, I mean, two months, I guess, uh, because he'll probably play in the post. I mean, he will play in the postseason at some point. Um, and then the next year or so, you know, is there anything else he can do in his career to give him a better chance in the Hall of Fame, or is he only hurting himself if he continues to play at the kind of level that he's been playing at? I, I, I think so. I think he'd probably be hurting himself. I think the best thing he could do is help the Dodgers have a postseason run, and if he's into that at all and you know, kind of does what he's done before in his career and then bows out gracefully after the season, I mean, yeah, that's kind of the best-case scenario for him. Mm. Uh, his scenario is he's sticks around another few years and his wins above average total really takes a hit. I think that's that's kind of what's key to his case. Um, so who knows? He does that. That that could diminish, diminish his chances a bit. But I think for an Utley supporter, you can't really ever take away what he did his peak. And that that really is what, what makes what, what makes him a Hall of Famer, I think, to people is, is what he did during that peak. Um, you also mentioned in the piece Jimmy Rollins, uh, and you actually asked Chase about Jimmy, and he gave a very Chase Utley answer that he was one of the best players on the field when I played, <laughs> which is true. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, what what do you think about Jimmy Rollins? What kind of chance does he have? I mean, it looks like he's probably done now. I don't know if he's actually officially retired yet, but he's um, he looks like he's done. So does he have a chance in say five years? I mean, not with writers. He's a he's a 264 lifetime hitter, um, so I, I could see him struggling a lot with the writers. But I, you know what? Who I kind of see him being a similar candidate to is like a Dave Concepcion, who mm-hmm. I think Concepcion went the full uh, back when it was 15, and he's actually he's done decently well with the on the committee ballot since then. I think he had a year where you know he did, he didn't come close to the votes he needed, but he. He had the most votes of any player on the ballot uh, for the for the veterans ballot. So I could see other not a, excuse me. I could see Rollins being a candidate like that. You know, um, I guess you have to be retired at least 15 years to be on arrives on that. But um, he seems like the kind of candidate that you know the committees really like. You know, especially yeah. since he was a shortstop. I mean, he couldn't get away with that if he was like you know a first baseman or a, sure. a left fielder. But as a shortstop, they might give him a little bit of leeway. Uh, and what about so so I, you had talked to me offline about you know players who played for the Phillies and I mean the player that everybody talks about with the Hall of Fame in Phillies history is Dick Allen because he hasn't made the Hall of Fame and there's such a groundswell case for him and there's always been people who've advocated for Dick Allen to make the Hall of Fame. What's your take on him? I mean it, it seems like everybody in Philadelphia says yeah he's a Hall of Famer why is he not in the Hall of Fame? But what, what, from the outside what's your impression? Yeah I mean I, I think he should be I. Um... I've I've tried to get an interview with him for a while. I've I've spoken to his son, you know, several times uh, via Twitter, and um, yeah, has, there hasn't been an interview yet. I, you know, Dick Allen is is fairly distrustful of the media still. I think, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is really understandable. I mean, he's one of the most maligned players in baseball history. I don't think his value really is still understood. I mean, by OPS plus, he's one of the best hitters in the game's history. Unfortunately. 
He played his career in the 50s and 70s, which was no great time for offense. I mean, he comes up, what, 1963, and 63 through 68 are some of the worst offensive conditions in baseball history outside of the dead ball era. Right. And he had some of his best years during those times. Yeah. You know, the, the, the knocks on him, uh, he retired early. Uh, when he was in Philly, he kind of stopped going to games here and there. Yep. Yep. Um, <laughs> Oh, you he know, stopped. He stopped um, playing. He stopped playing for Atlanta outright, basically, in the early seventies. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and yeah, there was even yeah, a stretch where I think he retired from the White Sox so he could, yep. you know, go and be with his. So I mean, you know, some of the some of the damage he did to himself. But I mean, just if you look at his prowess as a hitter, I mean, you adjust for the era that he played in. I mean, he's a slam dunk, obvious Hall of Famer to me, and he he missed by just one vote a few years ago, and it's really sad. He doesn't, from what I've from talking to his son, he doesn't expect he'll be alive like when he gets considered again, which is not until I think the fall of twenty twenty. It's a ridiculously hmm. long thing that because of the era that he's determined to have been in, he only gets considered once every five years. I mean the what right now at Veterans Candidates is shameful. There's no era of players that's considered every year. Um there's a couple eras that are being considered twice every five years. And then Allen's era only every five years. So it's just hmm. it's it makes it very hard for any any players to get in under the system. Let me ask you about any other Phillies. Are there any Phillies, you know, especially from the last few years when the Phillies were good up until 2011, are there any Phillies from that era that you think have a have a better than 50% shot of making the Hall or just could be interesting cases? I think Roy Hall is an interesting case. I, you know, I, I think he's one of the better pitchers of the last 20 years. He had a real quick and sudden decline to his career, mm-hmm. but... Yeah, aside from that, I mean, you know, you look at him as about, what was it, maybe a five- or ten-year stretch. He was the best in baseball. Um, and I think when he comes eligible, um, he it'll be really interesting to see what happens with him. I, I don't see him being a first ballot selection, but I could see him sticking on the ballot for a while and maybe even making a run at it with the Riders. Um, and and one of the things that Halliday has going for him, as you said, it was a really steep decline. He didn't have like Steve Carlton did. I mean, Steve Carlton was a Hall of Famer no matter what, but Steve Carlton waited around for about three or four years and pitched with some really bad teams and was really bad himself at the end of his career. So Halliday didn't Halliday didn't do that. Yeah, no, I mean, there's no picture of like you know um, you know a Roy Holiday like toiling away. I mean, Carlton's baseball cards at the end of his career are just surreal. It's just like wait, yeah. he pitched where? The Giants. I mean, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, it's, it's funny, too, because I was looking at Carlton's, you know, numbers recently, because I, I grew up a Giants fan because, you know, I'm from Northern California. And, I mean, you could almost make the case that when Carlton came to the Giants, I mean, I, I could have seen maybe an optimistic fan thinking, oh, cool, well, we got Steve Carlton. Maybe maybe he's still got left, something left in the tank. No, I think he had, like, one good start for the Giants, then everything else was just direct. <laughs> Yeah, well, Nolan Ryan, Nolan Ryan was able to do it up until his mid forties, and it just didn't work out for Carlton. So, yeah, um, no, I mean, yeah, some guys can. I mean, Bartolo Colon is actually kind of doing it right now, but yep. uh, the average pitcher is just smart to get out while the getting's still good. No, that, that's really hard for players to do. I mean, you know, more than not, you have guys wanting to kind of make the fool of themselves at the end. I think of Warren Spahn on the New York Mets in like nineteen, <laughs> what was that, sixty five? I mean, it's just, yeah. It's, you wind up with these kind of bad sites, and it, it goes back to Utley. You know, these sites can, course, can kind of make fans almost forget, fans and writers forget about, you know, what these guys were at the top of their game, which is unfortunate, but that's yeah. kind of the way it works. 
Yeah. Um, well, at least Utley has, you know, hitting big home runs against the Mets going for him. Uh, he can carry that until the end of his career, I'm sure. Um, and, and let, let me give you – so you said 40% in your piece or the sporting news about Chase Utley's uh, Hall of Fame chances. Does he make the Hall of Fame? And, and if he does, give me, like, a date on when we can expect that to might happen. Oof. Um, I said 40%, so I'm – I'm hesitant to say that it would happen, but if it does, okay, realistically, realistically, I think, I think, I don't think this is his last year. I think next year is his last year. I think he's, I think he's going to try and, and come at least like spring training in a few weeks of next year. He just, he didn't strike me as, as being yeah. right about to be done. So, that would mean that he'll be eligible fall of 2023. Um, you get 10 years on the ballot. If he makes it uh, through the writers, it'll come kind of closer to the end of that 10 years. Sure. So, so let me think. Um, I'd say I'd say there's a reasonable chance that he'd be getting in around 2031 with the writers. Would I bet on that? Uh, probably not. But yeah, like 2031, 2032. Uh, that would be that would be the time for Phillies fans to be reserving, you know, their uh, Cooperstown uh, hotel accommodations. Man, uh, my daughter's gonna be fourteen. <laughs> Jeez. Um, well, great. Well, I, I, I'm glad that you at least. I, I think you're probably right. If it does happen, by the writers, it will happen at the end, and I think more likely it will happen in the veterans committee because I think that might be the more realistic shot for him. But um, I hope it happens, obviously, and I think we all do in Philadelphia. Um, oh, absolutely, yeah, and I mean, and it's you know, he's the the thing is he'll have a lot of guys making the case for him. You know, he'll have yeah. guys like Jay Jaffe and uh, yeah. Yeah. you know, and Tony Carey and Ryan Spader. I mean, you know, hopefully myself. Like, uh, we'll all be we'll all be you know repeating that he was and you know making the case for him. And you know that has been shown to get a player in before. So I think he'll be the next next the next one of those type of players. Jonah Carey for uh, Tim Raines has been one of the more unbelievable things uh, that he just put all of it behind it and and it worked out in the in the very end. So that was good. That was good to see because Tim Raines obviously deserved to be in the Hall I mean, way before he got in. Yeah, <laughs> and, that, and that's the way it goes with the Hall of Fame. You kind of know who a guy is as a Hall of Famer five ten years before they. Edgar Martinez is another example of that Mike Messina. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, there's these guys who I I'm pretty sure will get in at some point, but it just. It takes a while sometimes for the Hall of Fame to come around. That's honestly kind of as it should. I, I wouldn't want the the inverse to be true and just you know, have guys just going in willy nilly. That would that would completely diminish the the accomplishment. So I, I like that you know it's it's a little little tough for guys to get in. I, I don't think it's anything that anybody's entitled to. Yeah, and then we can't have conversations like this. So. Yeah, nah. Yeah, uh, and you won't have a job. Well, now you would. <laughs> I, I, I would be. I'd be thinking about something totally different. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, so Graham, where can people find uh, your writing? Sporting news, but where else? Oh yeah, so um, you can follow me on Twitter at Graham Dude. Um, I periodically uh, write uh, write articles for uh, actually a tremendous baseball history site. It's called the National Pastime Museum dot com. There's a, there's a whole bunch of us who contribute articles there. But if you're into baseball history at all, I, I recommend that website highly. And then my uh, my day job is a journalist in Northern California. So if you care about what happens in Sacramento suburbs, uh, I'm at 
old country media, but I, I wouldn't expect anybody to <laughs> to care about that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe we have uh, listeners who have family. We'll see. <laughs> uh, well, Graham Womack, thank you for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate uh, taking the time. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me on. All right, back here on the Phillies Nation podcast with Kirsten Swanson from philliesnation.com. We're going to talk a little bit about the bullpen, who's been really, really good over the past few months. And Mike Sadowski wrote a piece on the website this past week about some of the guys who are really stepping up and what maybe – Maybe they'll be here next year. Maybe they'll be part of this bullpen next year and be part of an actual good Phillies bullpen from the onset of the year, which is something we haven't kind of said in a while, that we've had a good bullpen all year. But maybe that'll happen next year. Uh, Kirsten, so of the guys currently in the bullpen, I mean, right now there's like 15 guys in the bullpen, but of the guys who are kind of making the biggest headlines and getting the most uh, appearances, who do you think has a really good shot of being on this bullpen next year and being in, in a good spot? I think there are a few. I think as of right now, Hector Neris, he kind of settled in towards maybe the second half. Um, and right now I don't see anybody that has would come up and grab that closer role. So unless it's something happens trade-wise where they get a throw-in piece or something, um, I think Hector Neris is probably going to be the closer to start the season. And Javi Milner, I mean, where did he come from? He has, you know, I think I didn't even realize this until I was watching the game the other night, but he has the longest scoreless appearance for a reliever since J.C. Romero. Wow. Um, for any reliever? For the Phillies. My, yeah, for wait, Phillies. wait. Well, Nishak had a really good scoreless streak. This is Yeah, I saw that on the um, broadcast the other night, and he didn't even know it until I think I read his girlfriend told him or something like that. Okay, okay. Uh, <laughs> um, and Adam Morgan, I mean, if we were having this conversation in June, he definitely, would definitely not be somebody no. who I would think would be here next year. Um, but talk about a complete turnaround. Yeah, I, I, I totally – I mean – before we get back to Morgan, like Hector Neris, it's funny because I've been kind of tooting the horn the last like two years about how Neris is really good trade fighter at some point. And I almost feel like, I mean, it was hard because he had a really tough first half and I don't think there was a lot of value for him, but I hope the Phillies don't miss their opportunity to trade him because they traded Ken Giles, I think, at the perfect time. Now, Giles has been very good since. I mean, he's really settled in with Houston, but the Phillies got a lot back for him, and that trade still isn't a wash yet. We'll see what happens with Eshelman, and maybe Velasquez turns it around, whatever. But I feel like Neris, this might be the time where the Phillies need to cash in on him. I don't want them to miss that opportunity. Um, I don't know. I, I like, like, Are you okay with – would you rather see them move him in the offseason, or are you okay with him coming back? I mean, if we can move him, whether it's part of the package or if we can get a fourth or fifth starter out of him or something, if something, if it's a piece that we need, I'm all for it. I'm not married to almost anybody on this team at this point, um, but I'm just not sure who would step into that role. Do you have any idea who you would I mean, see? I mean, Luis Garcia has been great. And, That's true. And That's true. Like, the thing about Garcia was, you know, he was this guy who was up and down, up and down, up and down for like three years, it seems like. And then he finally settled in here in the last few months and two, five, one ERA, 54 strikeouts, 21 walks. Uh, you know, Neris has better numbers there, 72 strikeouts, 26 walks. But Garcia has been just really solid. He's got really good fastball, obviously gets up into the high nineties. Um, and he's 30. So it's funny. He's, he's actually like a real veteran at this point. I feel like, the Phillies won't get a lot of value out of him at this point, so why not write him out and see if he can become a closer, like have a, just a hot year next year? Um, that's the one guy, I, I don't know, like they could maybe try to convert Velasquez, but that takes, I think, longer than spring training to convert him to a closer. Right. Um, 
Victor Arano, who's been up for a little bit, actually feels like someone that maybe they could plug in like very quickly and maybe he'll adapt. But I think you're right. Like Naris is really the only guy at this point who's really seasoned enough to be the closer on this team. Um, so Adam Morgan, uh, it's really funny to see what he's done this year because, I, I, like you said, we would I would have written him off completely. But just looking uh, last last 28 days, he has a strikeout walk ratio of 4.67. He has an opponent batting average of 196 and an ERA of 142. The numbers against lefties are ridiculous this year. I mentioned this on the podcast I think two weeks ago. Uh, 190 batting average against, 227 on base percentage against, 357 slug, 38 strikeouts, and four walks against lefties. Like, is that the key? Is it like it just like realizing that he could just face lefties? It's ridiculous. That's insane. I knew the numbers were crazy, but I didn't know they were that crazy. Yeah, I mean, it feels like the Phillies, when they were good, always had that lefty that would come in. Um, so if that, I mean, if that's the case, and we're in the in the situation where we can just have a guy that comes out to face lefties and get those key outs i mean that's that would be ideal um another guy it seemed who, like he was always getting like good i was gonna say it seemed like he was always getting you know the coming in the games when the blowouts and just to try to eat up innings but that hasn't been the case as of late and i mean maybe it's just because he was facing righties all those times you know now that pete yeah. realized that he could just face lefties and get them all out and there you go another name that is interesting to me is edgeway ramos who has been up and down this year, 4.50 ERA, doesn't look great on the surface, but his FIP is 2.96, which isn't the be-all, end-all, but it tells you that maybe he's better at some things. And his strikeouts, 65 Ks in 50 innings, he's got an 11.7 strikeout per nine. Do you think Edubay Ramos can kind of become the setup guy next year, maybe even a closer next year, if they do trade in Aris? I, I think so. I mean, like you said, give them a shot. Give these kids a shot to earn their keep, and they've been doing that in the second half. They're kind of all fighting for their role. I think Ramos um, loved the Grand Slam today, but I don't know if that was entirely his fault. Um, but, yeah, since he was since he went down in the beginning of the summer, he came back up, and he's, he's turned things around. And then looking at who they have in the starting bin, because there are a ton of guys who have just washed out here this year. Uh, Nick Pavetta has not been able to really sort of get consistent. I think his numbers are worse than he really has been this year, but we're still looking at a guy who hasn't been able to put it together for more than two starts in a row. Um, Then you have, like, Jake Thompson, who's been on and off at times. Uh, Mark Leiter Jr. has been off and on. We don't know about Zach Eflin, his future. He'll be back from the 60-day DL hopefully next year. Like, is there anybody in the starting rotation or of the starters who are in Lehigh Valley or even here who you think could be converted to a bullpen spot next year and maybe reclaim their careers? You mentioned it earlier, Vince Velasquez. I just feel like the Phillies have to make a decision sooner rather than later. I don't... I was high on Vince Velasquez coming into the season, but, I mean, he said injury after injury, and maybe the injuries did play a huge part in his season this year, but I think he has great stuff, but he just can't sustain it. So if he can hone that in and pitch one inning every two games and he's good at that, I think maybe that's where they have to what they have to do. But like you said, spring training is not enough time to do that, so I'm not sure if that's a conversation they're going to have in the off season or they're going to let him ride out in the rotation to start the, to start the year and then take it from there. But I would like to see Vince Velasquez maybe give it a go. Yeah. I, Pete McCann, I think has said previously that he 
has Velasquez. Maybe it was even Matt Klintak who said that Velasquez was still part of the rotation next year, which I get it, but I almost feel like the Phillies might be better off just having him start to move to reliever in spring trading than maybe even have him start in Lehigh Valley as a reliever just to kind of work out the kinks, and maybe he comes up midseason and becomes sort of that ace reliever that you know really good teams have, the guy who can go two innings at a time or whatever. Maybe that helps. Maybe he could still be a starter. I don't know one way or another where it's going to go with him, but the potential's there, obviously. It's just he's got to get out of his head. I mean, he's got to just sure. hone in, find his command, and when he fails, not beat himself up because that really is what gets him in trouble. Um, and the rotation for next year, I mean, I get it. You know, you need to have a rotation. And But beyond Nola, I think maybe Ben Lively has given himself an opportunity because he's pitched at least well enough to be part of this rotation next year. And maybe they give Eikhoff another shot. But, what do you, you know, what do you do? I don't know. So maybe you have to have Velasquez in there. Finally, though, do you think they go out and get a reliever a la a Pat Neshek, uh who can come in and maybe, you know, get them some really good numbers early on in the year, and then they flip him at the deadline again. Is that is that another scenario for next year? I think so. I mean, it depends on what they do with this, with the rotation if they go out and get a couple of vets there. But I think I think that's a smart move. I mean, they're still in the, they're still rebuilding. So if they can get a veteran guy that they know is going to to have a good first half, and they can flip them and get some pieces, um, I think that's the that's something that Klontek's going to do. Yeah, I think it. I, I think it. At the least, they'll probably get maybe one or two. I don't want to say like proven relief guys, like proven veterans, but maybe like reclamation project guys who maybe were hurt last year or this year, or maybe they just struggled a lot and were in a bad situation. And Clintech brings them in just to see if they can find something for a couple months. And if that happens, then they can flip them. Uh, and if it doesn't happen, maybe you still like work with that person over the course of the year and see if you could find something else out. But um, I don't know. I think next year is a very interesting year because they do have some questions answered and they kind of know that they have to get starting pitching the bullpen. They have a lot of guys who maybe can work themselves into roles, but otherwise they can maybe take a risk or two with guys who maybe wouldn't normally be on a, on a rebuilding team. So um, would be interesting to see what happens. Uh, but certainly I think finally we have a couple guys for the future, at least that we could say, Oh, maybe that guy will be part of the bullpen next year. <laughs> we haven't we haven't had that in a while. So you know, seeing guys like a Victor Rano or Luis Garcia or Edgebe Ramos kind of playing well is is really nice to see. Definitely. All right, Kirsten. Uh, we will talk to you in the future. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Tim. My thanks to Kirsten Swanson for coming on and talking about the bullpen and Reese Hoskins. Also, thanks to Graham Womack for coming on and talk about Chase Utley's Hall of Fame chances. Again, you can catch this stuff at the Sporting News. Uh, you can find him on Twitter, at Graham Dude. Awesome conversation with him. Again, uh, next week, or next time on the podcast, I keep saying next week, but it's in two weeks from now, it'll be the season wrap-up edition. We'll do a big, giant podcast where we talk about the Phillies kind of A to Z, all the players on the roster. We give them grades. We're going to talk about next year and what we think, kind of snap judgments. We'll have some guests on. It'll be a really fun time. Uh, you'll want to listen to it. You'll want to get it in two weeks. And you should get all the Phillies Nation podcasts. You should subscribe. Go to Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to the podcast. Give it a five-star review. I would love it if you did. It'd be great. I would really appreciate it. You can find the podcast, of course, on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spreaker, and youtube.com slash Phillies Nation. And again, go to philliesnation.com for all of your Phillies news, rumors, information, and opinion. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash Phillies Nation. 
Twitter at Phillies Nation, Instagram at Phillies Nation underscore. All right, Chase is coming. Anybody going out of the games? Want to see Chase? Maybe it's the end. I don't think it's the end. I think he'll have one more year at least with the Dodgers. As Graham was talking about earlier, I think he'll come back next year. I, I don't think Chase is going to bow out yet. Maybe if they win a series this year. But maybe the Indians will. I don't know. That's about it. But go out and see Chase. You never know. You never know. For the Phillies Nation podcast, thanks for listening. I'm Tim Malcolm. See you next time.